Every town has its stories, its secrets. What possible harm could come from sharing them? Hmm? This is Small Town Horror. For some of you, that music means something very specific. It means a return of sorts to a search for answers. In that, you aren't wrong. This is indeed a search for answers, perhaps just not one that you had expected. For long-time listeners, that music means a reprieve from nearly a year of silence, nearly a year of not having answers, and for some, nearly a year of demanding closure. Perhaps as you listened to the sound of Peter Lewis's voice, you anticipated hearing the dulcet tones of Ryan Jennings telling you what you already knew and walking down a road toward an unknown end. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you, that's not what this is. The fact is that after not long, it became very clear that Mr. Jennings had no interest in continuing his search for answers. Why he has remained silent for so long, I can only speculate. My taking up that mantle was not personal, it was purely professional. When an intern in my offices made an offhand remark about trying to do a follow-up piece on the disappearance of Ryan Jennings, I will admit that more than a small part of me felt a pang of contention. I have sacrificed no small amount of my time for Ryan Jennings, not to mention more than a few conversations with law enforcement as to my involvement in crimes he may or may not have perpetrated. Thus I took it upon myself to find the answers Ryan left behind. I want to make it clear that what I uncovered in this series was not through some incredible sleuthing, but a combination of professionalism, luck and frankly, the work of a lot of other people. As much as anything, I serve as the intermediary between the information and you, the listener. You who want answers. I cannot profess that this series will bring you closure to the investigations started by Ryan Jennings years ago. All I can promise you is that it will start at the beginning and conclude at the end. Anything more than that, well... I suppose it's easier if you just listen for yourself. And in an effort to assuage too much outrage over waiting for answers, all episodes will be available at one time. These episodes are presented in the order they were created, so my lack of knowledge over some of the answers isn't my acting coy, it's simply how I experienced it all. So now you know everything, or everything that can be known. So let us begin anew. My name is William Brown, and this is the truth behind Small Town Horror. started with two VHS tapes. 
My name is Ryan Jennings. In 1998, I recorded two VHS tapes. Tape one was recorded with the simple but naive goal of getting answers. Tape two was my mistake in attempted finding those answers. This is tape one, the where. A bit over two years ago, the voice of Ryan Jennings was made available to an audience far larger than the small radio stations he'd been working at for the previous 18 years. As he has described it, a confluence of events transpired that brought him back to the place of his birth, the town of Creighton, Minnesota. When you grow up in Creighton, Minnesota, you you kind of get used to people not knowing what's going on. I guess the best way for me to explain it is, it's like when someone tells you something. But they say it in a way where you're supposed to remember. Like there was some important event or moment that you shared. But it obviously didn't mean as much to you as it does to them. Like it's there. You know it's there. And you know you know it, but you can't remember it. That's how everyone reacts when you say you're from Creighton. It gets so you get used to it. People are just trying to be polite, and there's no sense in trying to explain where Creighton is or why they should remember in the first place. So it shouldn't have meant anything to me that she hadn't heard of Ashbury. It wasn't supposed to be there anyway. I guess I'll get to that at some point later. Creighton, Minnesota, if you were able to find it on any map, which I still have not been able to do, barely registers as a blip on anyone's radar. It was perhaps this seed that first compelled Ryan on his path. Given the twists and distance of that particular path, the truth of Creighton's mysteriousness isn't anything near as remarkable as one might think, like learning the secret to a magic trick. The simple answer is that Creighton is not an incorporated town. Whether it ever was seems to be up for debate, but it being unincorporated is the reason for it not appearing on maps. I will assume that anyone listening has already heard the previous three seasons, so I won't bore anyone doing a deep dive into information you already know. Instead, I will simply illustrate points and information with Ryan's own recordings. So, to keep things simple, a map of Ryan's life went from his short disappearance at the age of 18... Check, check, check. This is Creighton Chief of Police, John Donaldson. It is 9.58 a.m. on October 8th, 1998. I'm about to go into the interview room to speak with Ryan Jennings, age 19. Lives at Street. Ryan, mind if I come in? Okay, Ryan, the doctor is on his way. Can you please repeat what you just told me so I can get it recorded? It's nothing official. I just want to get the details while they're still fresh in your mind. Is that okay? Yes, sir. Okay, Ryan. Just repeat what you just told me before I went and got the recorder. It... The sinner's game. I, I, I played the sinner's game and he t- took me. Who is he, Ryan? I, I, 
I don't know. The the last thing I remember, I was at the Stone Church when I woke up. It was it, it was pitch black. I I was on the floor and I couldn't get up. I could hear the chains clinking on the ground. It was cement. I know that. I screamed and screamed, but it was like the sound just died as soon as I yelled. Uh, Can you tell me anything about this person who you think took you? A description, a voice, anything? No. I just heard his laugh. He laughed. The devil laughs. Would you recognize that laugh if you heard it again? I'll never forget it. So you never saw a face? No. No. Were you ever touched in any way? You mean besides being chained to the floor? No, nothing ever touched me. Do you know where you were taken? No, it was pitch black. I... I thought I was dead. The ground was so cold and chains and... I can still feel them on my wrists. He just laughed. Day after day, he just laughed. Ryan, do you know what day it is today? I don't know. I kept kept passing out. He didn't feed me. But there was water dripping from the ceiling on my cheek, and I could just sort of turn my head to get it. Long's it been? Week? More? You said you played the sinner's game at midnight on Friday the 7th? Yes, sir. Ryan, it's 10 a.m. on Saturday the 8th. No one has reported you missing. I called your dad and he didn't even know you were gone. It's been less than 10 hours. If someone actually did take you, well then... That's that's not possible. Ryan, I think we need to let the doctor check you out. Were you, well, drinking last night? There's a chance that you might have fallen and bumped your head when you played the game. Kids get scared out in the woods all alone. No one else... I didn't get scared. I wasn't drunk. Wait, what do you mean, if someone took me? What, you think I imagined these bruises? Ryan, please calm down. There's no need for you. To his own running away from the mysterious laughter that haunted him. (laughs) To his return to Creighton, a mysterious little town not on any map. The town itself, the setting and catalyst of this all. Man, nothing changes here. Seeing the sign at the outskirts is both nostalgic and haunting. The same old wood sign that should have rotted away decades ago with Creighton in big white letters along with population 642. 
but the twos crossed out with white spray paint replaced with a one. One last person in town. My dad, probably. I'd be mad if I didn't understand. I've seen it before. Hell, I've been the kid with a can of paint wedging a Z between the A and Y and a W between the O and N, reminding everyone that they didn't live in Creighton. They lived in Crazy Town. Kids did it when someone went missing or when someone died. It was sort of a rite of passage. Like I said back in that first tape, it was just something you got used to. It happening to my dad doesn't make it any more significant to me. Time does that, I guess. Amongst other things. Yes, as we all know, it got much more complicated than all that. But it's the return where this all really started for any of us, isn't it? It was a return to address the passing of Ryan's father that brought all of this about. And as such, I suppose one of the more pertinent answers, the one that will lead to many more, is the answer to one of the central questions of this entire podcast. Who was Ryan Jennings' father? But even the comfort and safety of my home provided no refuge from whatever took me. Soon enough, I was driving 80 miles an hour on southbound 35 towards Iowa. I'd never hear my father's voice again. And all I would see when I thought of him was that chair. Sometimes I wonder, when I ran... Did he even notice? Did he care? But deep down, I know the answer. I'm my father's son. Ryan spent little time speaking of his father, and his speculations about the man ran the gamut from referring to him as a cold, uncaring alcoholic to speculating about his involvement in Ryan's initial disappearance to the idea that his father may have even been a victim himself. Never once in the podcast does Ryan refer to his father by name. His reasons for doing this are his own, but for the sake of this podcast and this investigation, I shall tell you his name was Henry Allen Jennings, more often referred to as Hank, around the streets of Creighton. Uh, did you know Hank Jennings very well? Oh, Hank? I mean, I guess. As much as anyone else. Never went hunting with him or anything, but we'd share a few pictures over at Izzy's during wild games. And what did you think of him? Is this about that shit his son was doing? Listen, it ain't for me to speak out of turn, but that boy coming and going as he pleased and making all kinds of crazy-ass assumptions about this town and the people was... Well, it was just wrong. Hank was a good guy. Hank was a good guy. That was the sentiment widely shared from other people I spoke to around town at least those interested in speaking with me at all. Creighton is, after all, a small town. It's the sort of place where there are no strange faces. Just over 600 people here have grown up and worked with one another. They go to school together, they drink together, they go to the Lutheran church together, they fish and hunt together. It is as close-knit of a town as you could imagine, and, on the surface... There is a definite Norman Rockwell characteristic to it all. However, appearances, like we learn so often in the world of true crime, are often deceiving. Hank worked as a long-haul truck driver for nearly 20 years before an accident on the job forced him to begin working in an office when Ryan was approximately 16 years old. 
Of those people whom I interviewed, none were aware of the information I had come across regarding the other side of Hank. The side more notably discovered by the police not long after Ryan posted the final episode of this podcast's last season. Detective Daniel St. Clair, Moriarty to Ryan's Homes. Yeah, I know, I know, it's not exactly the most apt comparison, but it definitely seemed to be as such in Ryan's mind. A man questing for answers and a foil determined to disrupt it. Sinclair even being the one to arrest Ryan on the charges of murdering his friend Roger Young, charges that were later dropped. Ryan's fixation with Detective Sinclair only grew from there, going so far as to address his final recordings to Sinclair specifically. But why? To taunt him? Or was there another reason? Regardless, Detective Sinclair was good enough to grant us an interview regarding Ryan Jennings in this podcast. We were only able to obtain this single meeting, so the audio from it will be used throughout these episodes as we address each point. Detective Sinclair, thank you for taking the time. What exactly was it you wanted to talk about this time? I already said on the phone... Yes, I recall our conversations and we'll stick to the agreed-upon terms. I don't know why you're even bothering with any of this. Just let this die. Perhaps a poor choice of words? Fine. Let's get this over with. What do you still want to know? What can you tell me about Hank Jennings? Hank? (laughs) Of course you were going to ask that. Well, since you probably know what my response to that would be under normal circumstances, I'm guessing you already know. It would mean a lot more coming from you as an officer of the law. I guess. What difference does it make? Better more people know so whatever stupid little secrets are going on out there in Creighton can end and whatever this podcast is supposed to be can finally get out of my life. I'm guessing you aren't asking about Hank so much as that cabin. (sighs) Following the disappearance of Ryan Jennings after the uh, incident in Ashbury, we followed any and all leads to where he might have gone to. Ryan had already proven himself a flight risk, driving across the country on multiple occasions to get away from whatever he viewed as being, I don't know, stalking him? Our resources are limited here. It's not like we have the manpower to go all over the country looking for Ryan. We put out our all points and hoped for the best. But as you obviously know, that didn't work. For all intents and purposes, Ryan disappeared. We decided that some of the information from Ryan's recordings might help us shed light on what was going on, as misleading as a lot of it was. What do you mean by that? You don't seriously still believe what he said on those recordings was all true, do you? More on that later. First, let's focus on Hank Jennings. Can we please get back to Hank Jennings? Anyway, we decided to look into the properties that Hank owned and passed to Ryan, particularly the hunting cabin he had. We thought that maybe the reason we hadn't found Ryan was because he hadn't really left. And what did you find at the cabin? Detective Sinclair wasn't in a position to divulge the findings of his search. Regardless of the information I had come across, it wasn't exactly mine to share either, out of respect for the victims. I was, however, able to track down one of the families and get their permission to share the report as they knew it in an effort to find closure to what had happened. 
The following information was kept out of the major media outlets and wasn't discovered by me until several months afterward. On the 15th of November 2017, police searched the property owned by the late Hank Jennings. Property Ryan documented on his podcast as transferring to his ownership, though he never put any particular focus on the transaction. Police found nothing during their initial search of the premises. The cabin didn't appear to have been lived in for quite some time. It wasn't until a police canine unit was brought in to aid the search that a discovery was made. Several discoveries, in fact. To be clear, I was given permission from the victim's family to share the details of the investigation as it was related to them. Approximately 20 yards from the east wall of the cabin, canine units detected something later found out to have been buried in a shallow grave. That something turned out to be the human remains of an adolescent girl, approximately 10 years of age. And she wasn't alone. In total, over 30 bodies were found, some buried nearly 10 feet into the ground. The first body found showed signs of decomposition that suggested that she had been dead for approximately two years, roughly the same amount of time that Hank Jennings himself had been deceased. I don't understand why this wasn't found sooner. Why would it have been? Ryan clearly believed something was wrong. And? Look, I have a town of 650-some-odd people swearing up and down how stand-up of a guy Hank Jennings was. Then, one guy... His son? One guy comes along and throws out some speculation, not even an accusation, mind you, about a man who he blames for having a bad childhood. Are you serious? Do you think we need to track down every speculation in northern Minnesota? Okay, and let's say we did. Do you have any idea how many cabins, hunting shacks, fish houses, and anything else there are up in the woods up here? What are the chances anything would have been found? But something was found. Uh-uh. You don't get to do that. You don't get to point your finger at us after the fact and say we messed up. There was nothing to suggest Hank Jennings was the sort of man to have been involved in any of the crimes that appear to have taken place on that land. Now I bet you want to make it sound like I'm defending him. Look, I've had enough of all of this. It's not my job to justify the actions of criminals, regardless of what you may have found out after the fact. He didn't exactly come out and say it, but I got the distinct impression that St. Clair didn't exactly enjoy the idea of supporting any ideas Ryan Jennings may have had. And he definitely didn't want to come across as saying there were actions that made murder acceptable. And as a point of fact, Ryan Jennings is a criminal. He is a murderer. And we will get to that, but first let's finish addressing Hank Jennings and the spiderweb he created that Ryan found himself in the middle of. Because it was this web that set into motion a series of actions it would be difficult, if not impossible, for anyone to come back from. As far as the bodies that were found, DNA was used to link one of the remains to a missing children's case just over the Minnesota border in Superior, Wisconsin. When presented with the information and the connection to the Small Town Horror podcast, the family listened to the episodes and made another unsettling discovery. 
I'll hear this. I don't know if it'll upload. There's really no self reception. I'll hear this is the first chance that I've gotten to do anything. If you're listening to this, if you've heard any of this, something went horribly wrong. I'm going to set a delay on when this gets released. Give myself a Today's June 7th, 2016. If you're hearing this, it's almost August. I mean, something went wrong. More wrong, worse. I know. I just needed to tell you, anyone, if you're hearing this, don't come looking for me. This was a mistake. Don't come to Ashbury. Not knowing was better than this. Don't come here. of the boy who wished to remain anonymous believe with absolute certainty, despite the years that have passed, that one of the voices in that recording taunting Ryan Jennings is in fact their son. Detective Sinclair, can you explain how this information was just recently obtained? How the family was unaware of their child's own voice still being used for some unknown purpose? Why would they know? You're giving way too much credit to this little radio show Ryan put together. It's not exactly This American Life. <sighs> Let's say one of these episodes reached a, a million people. I, I don't believe for one minute that it could or would ever reach that many people, but for the sake of argument. A million people sounds like a lot, sure, but there are seven billion people in the world. That means something like one percent of one percent of people heard it. That's not exactly a fair statement, considering who might hear it and who might be connected. Fine. Let's say a million people in Minnesota alone. Still, no way in hell that many people would ever hear that, or this, but let's just say. About five million people in the state, so if twenty percent hear it, that's twenty percent that would have to first believe it, then be paying attention anyway, then even have a connection to it at all. Personally, I'd be amazed if a thousand people in Minnesota ever heard this. You want to keep doing the math on this? <sighs> Look, we got lucky to have found what we found in the first place. That's just the way it is. But stop acting surprised every time you get an answer for something and get the privilege of looking back on it to what someone else should have done. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have a job to do. You've taken up more than enough of my time with this. So, unless you can shed some light on the current whereabouts of Ryan Jennings? Yeah, I didn't think so. When presented all together, it seems to be fairly damning evidence against Hank Jennings. His DNA was found at the scene and on the bodies. 
The recordings Ryan found within the walls appear to have been the sounds of victims' past. Mostly. The problem is that in the end, all this simply points to an answer. We may never know the truth of Hank Jennings and what happened at that cabin, and we may be better off not knowing. The fact is that no traces of the victim's DNA were found within the cabin itself. Could it be that Hank was so meticulous to cover his tracks? And if so, why the last shallow grave? While it is clearly in no way proof, I do have a theory. Hank Jennings was involved in no less than 30 abductions and killings of victims ranging from 6 to 18 years old over the course of 40 years. This was an important detail I missed at first. The bodies were all young adults, no adults. However, at least one witness exists claiming he was taken as an adult. And several of the layers of laughter appear to have been from adults at least 18 years old, including the first associated disappearance in the Creighton Woods and the purported Sinner's Game, Michael Alderman. As far as the children, I don't believe that Hank took them to his cabin, at least not at first. I believe he took them to Ashbury, perhaps the one place no one from Creighton would ever go under penalty or threat. He took them to the one place few knew existed, and the ones who did were afraid of. Those cages that Ryan found were for his victims. I believe Hank even had the desire to kidnap Ryan early, but was somehow forbidden either overtly by his wife or perhaps to keep up familial appearances. After her passing, I believe that Hank took the opportunity to abduct Ryan. And I believe he is the one who sent Ryan those tapes all those years later, facing his own death and attempting some form of atonement for his crimes. And finally, I believe those sounds Ryan heard and recorded were a message from his own father, a demented plea he forced his victims to say, calling out to the son, no, the victim he let get away. But all of this leaves out some important questions. Why did he let Ryan go? And if Hank only took children, why were adults later abducted as well in the case of Alex? I eventually developed a theory on that as well. Hank Jennings didn't work alone. There was an accomplice, one that we are already aware of, the Whispering Man. I also know who the Whispering Man is. But more on that next episode as we look to uncover the truth behind small-town horror.